Flying Talkers 2020 is brought to you by the people of ATC, simply the best GSSA in the transportation business. ATC today delivers the global airline cargo business the fastest growing, most respected general service and sales organization in the world. ATC Can Do Difference creates for all ideal situations designed by people working together to win. To discover what ATC can bring to your business anywhere in the world, contact HQ at atc-aviation.com or take a look and reach out at www.atc-aviation.com or you can call at 490-6969-80530. ATC, one world one global air cargo GSSA. This is Jeffrey Arendt. Right now, something truly amazing is taking place all over the world. Today, in a globalized economy, air cargo is flying above it all. I mean, setting standards, making deliveries, in the news, all over YouTube. Never heard air cargo spoken about in such a way. Well, today we're going to run a story about how air cargo got started by the cargo airlift of 1948. And listen to it, because that's the way... Air Cargo got famous to start with. But I was just thinking about some things we might be able to do when Air Cargo comes back as a regular enterprise and masks or no masks, we're all out there working on it again, meeting, doing things that we've done before. I guess it's called normal. So why not use this time of our sanctuary uh, to do some things that count in life at home, and in our quarantine world, and also step back and take a second look at almost everything we do. And that also includes a fresh look at how we recognize our industries best. How about we extend a quarantine forever on that slew of meaningless air cargo award events? We've been thinking about awards as the air cargo award party bonanza threatens to begin anew post-pandemic after this global COVID-19 lockup ends. Face it, the day for those undervalued bow-tie dinners that basically fill the coffers of sponsoring publications. If you think about it, they should be over. Sure, it's time to recognize the best. So how about rather than awards that no one except the recipient remembers much further away than the catering hall parking lot, how about organizing a big unified charity event that includes everybody, IATA, TIACA, CNS, FIATA, AFA, or Air Force Association, I don't know, people in the Pacific, some people in Europe, you name it, BIFA, that applauds in 2020 or 2021, whenever we might get it together, the most inventive PPE carriers or people in situations at this time that really have stood out and raised some money for healthcare workers from each traffic discipline or some other worthwhile charities. Something we could do as an industry that would also continue this impact out to the rest of the world. Look, air cargo driven by demand 
super cheap Carol and block ports and blank sailings is delivering the goods at historic rates that currently is the lifeblood of the airlines. That's the signal. Never mind all the noise. That's the absolute signal. That's the message of what's going on right now. And we're building a great reputation for ourselves much wider than the industry we're in. So we should think a little wider in terms of how we honor people, have ourselves a little more proactive at the other end. Moving FAK, including major amounts of hospital supplies and other supplies across otherwise empty skies, while 17,000 passenger aircrafts are idled around the world, has put air cargo front and center to universal recognition worldwide. And that means advanced possibilities post-crisis for our industry. Inventive new destinations are shining in our world right now that should be recognized and described and honored. And who would have thunk it? The heavens are full of freighters. United Airlines, operating dozens of cargo flights only, has captured the imagination of the possibility of air cargo in otherwise empty skies. Or Air Canada, that probably can't remember the last time it operated a, fr a freighter, is flying a 16-hour non-stop cargo route between Sydney, Australia, and Toronto, where they were at one point. I mean, they're both imaginative and amazing things going on right now when you think about it. But what about Anchorage, where cargo flights stop for Carol, preferring to carry more, carry more payload and less fuel from Asia and Ruth to North America? And for a couple of days in April, Anchorage was uh, the <laughs> busiest airport in the world. And it was all freighters, a few days, but you know, it was there. And what about Wizz Air, flying meds between Shanghai and Budapest with an intermediate stop in Kazakhstan? These are stories worth telling. And these are stories that when we tell them, we could find some people in those stories to honor. And it's going on with lots of airlines, it's going on with Virgin Atlantic, it's going on with, uh, I mentioned United, it's, uh, it's going on with ground handlers like ATC and, and sales and marketing people like ATC and ground handlers as well. So reimagined air cargo awards could tell some great stories and deliver universal appeal Maybe even later this year, if the Tiaka Air Cargo Forum is held, at last report the event is still on, it's supposed to be in, in Miami later this year. Now, of course, there may not be time and a place it could deliver this year, but undoubtedly venues will emerge as the pandemic fades. The feel-good factor of meaningful award agendas, we think, will also help us to remember who won what year to year will elevate the quality of the award and also be an incentive to look ahead to who might be the winner next time. Since 2020 has made another backslapping party a true anachronism, let's accept that air cargo awards should in some proper manner move forward to honor our best and really honor our best. Let's do something together to recognize imagination and performance in air cargo that radiates attention beyond air cargo and brings honor to make us all winners. Strictly your move. This is Jeffrey Arendt.
Here's some writing from the man who covered the Berlin Airlift. In June 1948, the Russians put the squeeze on their former allies in the western zones of the German occupation. The last train on the single line into Berlin rolled into the city, and the Reds suddenly clamped down on all service. They declared the line inoperative. Over the road, transportation was shut down at the same time. A little later, waterway traffic suffered the same fate. More than 2,500,000 Berliners and allies were faced with two alternatives, evacuation or slow starvation. When we talk about the Berlin Airlift, it's interesting. Most of Richard Malkin's writings refer to uh, that movement as Operation Vittles. Vittles is an old uh, cowboy phrase from the guy that was making the food on the chuck wagon on the wagon trains going across America. Come and get your Vittles. In fact, they'd say, come and get it before I throw it away. I think I used to hear that from my old army sergeant as well. That was always such an interesting way to call somebody for their dinner. The British called it Operation Plain Song. I can't tell you why they called it Plain Song, as I said, but what became the common usage was Berlin Airlift. But you'll hear me say Operation Vittles, and yes, I'm talking about Berlin Airlift. It was on June 25th that two B-17s flew some 20,000 pounds of food and medical supplies to the island city of Berlin. Overnight, General Lucius D. Clay issued the order which gave birth to the airlift. Within hours, 25 C-47s loaded with freight made the two-hour flight to Berlin's airport called Tempelhof. The other two fields serving Berlin, or West Berlin, were Tegel and Gaetau. On the 27th, American troop carrier groups at bases in various parts of the world were given their flying orders, which were carried out the same day. A few weeks later, Major General William H. Tunner, Deputy Commander for Air Transport, was called to Germany to set up the Airlift Task Force headquarters there. Much of the staff he brought with him to Germany came from Military Air Transport Service, which only recently had been organized. I love part of the behind the scenes stuff that that uh, Dick Malkin came up with. He mentioned at the beginning of the airlift, 85% of the aircraft that were being used were DC-3s, war, weary, goonie birds, he called them, averaging more than 3,000 hours per aircraft prior to this Operation Vittles operation. And lack of parts and qualified ground crewmen created almost insurmountable obstacles. But during this period, 
the group maintained more than 65% of its aircraft in commission, which is far above average considering the scope of the operation. They basically could put 7,000 pounds of weight per aircraft, but what they were doing, they were above the average weight of 6,000 pounds for the C-47, and sometimes planes were carrying up to 8,700 pounds, and they did this by reducing the gas load. And the boys had lots of ideas that were learned as the operation continued to unfold. For example, they had red, white, and blue, and yellow flags. There were so many C-47 operations, Dick writes, that it was impossible to determine the exact status of each. And time, the precious commodity, a way had to be found to cut corners. Pretty soon, the oper operation, uh, an answer to the operation presented itself in the form of colored flags hung on cargo doors. The code was simple. White meant coming in for a load. Blue meant prepare to unload me. Yellow said, I need oil. And red said, I need gas. Twenty-four-hour operations began with the arrivals of the C-54s. First, 72 of these Skymasters, then the figure was doubled. Shortly thereafter, Matt's Navy Squadron VR-6 and VR-8 joined the lift at Rhine-Main Air Base near Frankfurt, and the C-54 total swelled again. At the height of Vittles, 319 C-54s were roaring into the skies. About 70% of these Douglas air freighters were flying down the three quarters to Berlin at all time. Five packets operated in the lift hauling bulky odd-sized freight, which the C-54s could not easily take aboard or not at all. For example, cranes, rock crusher equipment, that kind of thing. 121 aircraft, half of which were C-47s were flown in to Berlin by the Royal Air Force as Operation Plainfair. The other planes were, for the most part, converted bombers. Finally, Dick tells the story of a C-47 pilot preparing to fly a normal load of uh, prefabricated matting strips they were using in the construction of the runways at Tegel Airport. So he loads up his, his C-47, his DC-3, checks his weight and balances, and jumps into the cockpit. But the pilot had trouble on the takeoff. He barely got the tail off the ground. By some miracle, the ship staggered into the air, Dick writes. He gained altitude slowly, and when he retarded the throttles to normal climb settings, the plane began to lose altitude. The worried pilot hurriedly pushed the power settings back up to the max cruise, flying all the way to Tempelhof at 130 miles an hour. Normal speed, by the way, for a DC-3 would have been about 150 miles an hour. 
He landed at Tempelhof, and it didn't come too early for him. His first thought was to check the load, and when he did, he gave vent to, Dick writes, a fine barrage of blasphemy. For the pap, pierced aluminum planking he was supposed to have been hauling was actually PSP, pierced steel planking. They looked alike, all right, but there was a mere difference of 7,000 pounds and 13,500 pounds between the two. This haul, Richard writes, stands as a record for the old war horse, the C-47. We'll share more of these stories, but this is what I want you to know about right now. Adding it all up, of the 2,343,315 tons flown into the blockaded city of Berlin in 277,204 flights, 2,185,247 tons were hauled aboard American cargo planes. Flying Talkers podcast is made possible by ATC, One World, One Global Air Cargo General Service and Sales Agent, GSSA. ATC is your key to the air cargo market, both local and internationally. ATC is the best air cargo team in the business. respect and admiration always to the greatest voice in old-time radio, Fred Foy. Aboard a midnight flight on the China Clipper, a young and resourceful teenager works for law and order in the late 1930s. Monitoring the world on his shortwave radio, he serves the cause of truth and justice the American way. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past comes a thundering roar of the twin WASP 14-cylinder radial engines. Steve Gibson of the International Secret Police is on the air. The International Secret Police 
Clint and Smiley spend the night in a small British hospital to fully recover from the long flight between Bermuda and the Azores without drinking water. Leeds and Davis are also supposed to be resting up, but during the night, Clint has a hunch that all is not well down at the plane. Rousing Speed and Smiley, Clint leads the way to the plane and surprises Leeds in the control room. He gives the excuse that he was working on the altimeter, but Speed hears a ticking sound. It is a time bomb hidden in the plane, and Clint runs to the instrument board, praying that the control wire is there, while Smiley and Speed grapple with Leeds, who frantically tries to escape, and does manage to get out of the plane, but Smiley stops him with a bullet. I'm wing Leeds! He's down! Good! Oh, golly, if Clint can only find that bomb wiring... Won't do any good to run. If that bomb goes off, it'll wreck anything within a hundred yards of the plane. Hey, the ticking stopped. Clint must have found the wiring all right. You wait here. Wait till I go out and get Lee. Okay, but be careful, Smiley. He might pull a gun on you. I doubt that. He's too concerned about being shot. What's speed? Are you all right? Yeah, Clint. You found the wiring? Yes. We're set near the altimeter. That's why Lee slipped his hand in back there to sell off the bomb. He must have had it set to give him just enough time to escape. He didn't, though. Smiley shot him. He's still alive. Oh, yes. At least he was making plenty of noise groaning a minute ago. Good. I want to question him. Leeds started that fire in the baggage compartment, too. But I can't understand how the octopus gang could have made him obey them. Why, he's been a trusted employee of the International Secret Police. I'm beginning to think the octopus gang can do anything. We thought we were through with trouble when we got rid of the octopus. Looks like we'll have to get rid of every member of his gang before we're really through with trouble. Yes, it looks that way. Hey, Clint! Speed! Come on out here! Coming, Smiley! Let's pile out, Speed. I have an idea that Leeds really needs hospital care now. That'll give us a chance to question him, too. Did he hurt the plane any? Eh, not that I can see. I'll have one of the local mechanics check it over thoroughly before we take off for Madeira. <laughs> Look, Smiley sitting on lead. <laughs> he would. Always resting. I wouldn't call tonight's work any rest cure. One minute we're in the hospital, and the next I'm sitting on a killer. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Well, we're darn lucky to know what we're doing right now. If Speed hadn't heard that time bomb when he did... Spare me the unpleasant details. What are we going to do with this Razorback? Take him back to the hospital with us for treatment and questioning. Can he walk? Sure. Those groans you hear come from a guilty conscience more than from a creased shoulder. Come on, Bomber, get up. We're going bye-bye. Now then, now that your wound has been dressed and you're comfortable in bed, do you feel like talking, Leeds? Oh, go away. I feel rotten. That sawbones wasn't any too gentle. 
Why should the doctor be easy with a fellow who is going to bomb us? I wonder if Davis is in on this or if he knows that anything has happened at all. I checked on that when we came in. He was sound asleep. Sounds like he's okay, then. Davis doesn't know anything but his navigator. It would have been better if you'd learned nothing but mechanics, Leeds. When was that time bomb supposed to go off? Between here and Madeira. Would have blown the plane to bits. Nice people Chief Riley sends along with us as a crew, huh? He trusted Leeds, Smiley. Everyone knew him. He's been with us for years and came with the highest credentials. The octopus gang must have gotten to him after he'd been working for Chief Riley, huh? It's hard to say, Sweden. The octopus might have placed him in our organization for just such a time as this. You know, he'll wait years for something to happen, and when it does happen, he's always ready for it. Uh, yes? Davis, Chief. You send for me? Oh, yes, yes. Come on in. Excuse me, but I'm still half asleep. Leeds, what's happened to you? Ask what didn't happen to us, including you, Davis. What do you mean? We surprised Leeds setting a time bomb in the plane. He planned to have it go off when we were on our way to Madeira. A time bomb? In the plane? But why? You don't know the real reason for our trip to Africa, Davis. But since plenty of other people seem to know about it and are trying to stop us from reaching there, I think you should know why. What? Then you mean this isn't just a routine flight to check up on secret police stations in Africa? No, sir. There's a gang who calls themselves the Atlantean Syndicate who we think are swindling the ten richest fellas in the world and we're aiming to stop them. And we think it's the Octopus Gang. Octopus Gang? Yeah, I see you've heard of them. Well, who hasn't? Do you mean they're actually operating in Africa? From all indications, yes. And Leeds here is one of their number. Ah, uh, you can't prove that. No? Well, we can prove a fire and a time bomb, and it's certain you wasn't just playing when you thought up those nice little things. Why, I didn't even know that Leeds had left our room. Clint had a hunch that something was up, Mr. Davis. Otherwise, he would have taken off and been blown up at sea. Did you hire Lota and Peters to ambush us in Bermuda, Leeds? I, I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about, Barlow. It isn't going to do any good to be stubborn, Leeds. We've got enough on you to keep you behind bars for life. Okay, okay. So you've got the goods on me. Then leave me alone. Where's your baggage, Davis? In that closet over there. Leeds, too? Yes. Most of the stuff is locked in the plane. But he brought a small grip in here to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Get it, will you, Spin? Sure thing. Is this the closet you mean, Mr. Davis? Yes. Hey, look. All this isn't going to get you anywhere, Barlow. We'll see. Guess this is it. The other one had Mr. Davis' name on it. Yes, that's the one Leeds was carrying. Open it. It's locked. Where's the key, Leeds? Why, I must have lost it. Will you give me that key? All or... right, wait a minute. Never mind, Smiley. I have a skeleton key here for just such emergencies. Uh -huh. Well, just the usual thing. Socks, shirt. Here's a wallet, Clint, and a passport. Let's have it. Identification cards, visas. Yes, everything seems in order. Sure it'd be in order. Crooks always see to that. Looks like we're up a stump, all right. Nothing else in the case. Oh, uh, those military brushes. These? Yes, let me have them. Hey, look, you've wrinkled my shirts, thrown my socks all over the floor, and shot me in the shoulder. Now, isn't that enough? Uh, don't you want me to examine these brushes, Leeds? All I want is for you to clear out of here. Unfortunately, it is. It's too late to rid yourself of the police. What are you trying to do to those brushes, Clint? See if the backs will come off. Mm -hmm. This one's solid. But this other one, uh... Yes, it is removable. Well, shut my mouth. 
A nice a cubby hole to carry secret papers in as ever I'll see. Yes, and there is a paper in it, all right. Gosh, doesn't make much sense, does it? Numbers. Yeah, that's the date speed. And look, New York, Bermuda, Azores, and Madeira. They have our route and the dates we land at these places. If they couldn't stop us from landing. Madeira. That means they're laying for us there, too. We found Leeds out. Maybe that'll end our troubles on the flight at Leeds. Maybe. But Leeds is going to tell us exactly what to expect, whether he likes it or not. Hey, look, may I have a glass of water if I've got to go into such a lengthy discussion? I'll get you one. Thanks. Ah, here. Uh, let me see that piece of paper, Clint. Uh, maybe you overlooked something. Not much to see, Smiley. Probably means plenty if we knew just how to read it. You know, Clint, it just shows our fight as far as Madeira. He must have been awful sure we'd never get beyond there. Say, you think of the cutest things, boy. Uh-huh, that sounds logical. Well, you ready to talk now, Leeds? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready now. What's he laughing at? <laughs> Don't ask me. If I was in his shoes, I wouldn't be laughing. On the other hand, my young friend, I think you might. Come on, Leeds. <laughs> Quit stalling and tell us what you know. Very well. I've been in the Octopus Gang for five years. And I've been watching my chance to get you, Clint Barlow, all that time. But I had to be careful. If every one of the secret police suspected me, my usefulness would be ended and the Master would have destroyed me. Master? You mean the Octopus? Yeah. What power does this criminal have over people that he can force them to do his will? Murder. Destruction. He had a knowledge of psychology that was uncanny, Davis. Almost amounted to hypnotism in some cases. But I've worked with Leeds for years. I never dreamed that he was anything but a swell fellow. Capable and a good sport. The octopus was the most dangerous criminal alive. And now that he's dead, it'll take a long time to destroy the foundations of crime that he has established. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Come on, oh, tell me. You amuse me. <laughs> Clint, from the way Leeds is acting, I think the octopus is still alive and knows we're coming to end that landing in Swindle. Nobody else would be so set on killing you. What about it, Leeds? Is the octopus alive? You wanted me to tell my story from the beginning, didn't you? We don't care where you started, just so you tell it. Clint, this fella's stolen for some reason or other. If I didn't know he was going to stay right here, I'd say he was playing for time and a getaway. I'm admitting everything, am I not? I started that fire in the baggage compartment. I caused your ambush in Bermuda. Emptied the water tanks between Bermuda and the Azores. <laughs> Too bad I won't see others succeed in Madeira where I've failed. <laughs> you won't see, all right. You'll be in jail. You're wrong there. Huh? Clint, what's wrong with Leeds? <coughs> Leeds. <coughs> Leeds. <coughs> Thought you'd make me talk. <coughs> you fools. <coughs> He's out cold. Did he faint? No. No, Speedy. He's dead. Dead? But how? Smiley only gave him a flesh wound. I was a fool not to have suspected something when he asked for that glass of water. You mean... He dropped a poison powder into it. There's still traces of it in the bottom of the glass. Now he'll never talk. Gosh, and he said we were sure to be stopped at Madeira.
Well, that does it for our broadcast today. That was fun, wasn't it? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time. This is Jeffrey Aaron saying, keep them flying. Air Cargo. Goodbye. Speak to me. Good, Lou.